Action Fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain, and joining me as we once again explore the filmography of Craig R. Baxley, my co-host, Mr. Chad Cruz. Chad, are you ready to get stone cold? I don't know what that means, but yes, I am ready. All right. Well, uh, joining us as we wrap up this retrospective on Craig R. Baxley, he is back, the real Todd Gaines, and I know he's ready to get stone cold. Oh, you know it, man. Anytime I can come and talk about a guy in a mullet riding a motorcycle with a pet iguana, I'm down, man. <laughs> That's your every day, right? That's every single day nice. in my life, yeah. Well, we are not going to waste too much time. We're going to get into it. But before that, I would like to plug our social media. And, uh, you know, we encourage you to interact with us and follow us on Twitter. That's at Bulletproof Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, we are at Bulletproof Action. But, yeah. Let's not waste any time because we got to get into this thing. It is Stone Cold. It is starring Brian Bosworth. It was the third feature film directed by Craig R. Baxley. And uh, Chad, I know you're a big fan of the introduction of the character Joe Huff, who is uh, played by Brian Bosworth. Um, one of the things I like about this opening scene is they felt the need, uh, you know, as RTG just said, the guy's got a mullet. He comes, he's got earrings. He's got the long leather jacket but they still felt the need to establish that he plays by his own rules and does his own thing in this opening scene. Yeah. It's a, you know, it, it's interesting the way he comes into that grocery store because the film opens up and there's these guys robbing this, this grocery store with like 40 bucks in the, in the register. Um, and they're shooting the place up and all this stuff. And then we see Joe Huff walk in, he's got the duster jacket on the ridiculous hairstyle and he's pushing the cart. And he starts eating food off the shelf. What kind of man eats food off a shelf? A man like Joe Huff, I'm assuming. Okay, so so I guess that is playing by your own rules to eat a cookie out of the out of the little deli thing. But um, yeah. So then then the guy comes up and puts a shotgun up to his face, and he has the great line where he's like, "I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it." Um, yeah. I mean, it's an awesome introduction. It. It's not like the James Bond, like the, you know, the intro movies to James Bond films where it's just like a massive action scene that comes out. It has to kind of give you that little bit of like an origin to him a little bit, you know, it's not, here's his backstory. It's just like, here's a guy, here's what he looks like. And he's super badass. It could just beat the crap out of a bunch of guys with guns. Yeah, and, and we also find out he's kind of in hot water uh, with his superiors, which, again, if you're you're a maverick playing by your own rules, that's going to happen. And RTG, you know all, all about that, don't you? Oh, I know all about that. And I also know about cleanups on aisle four. He has that nice little line at the end. And definitely this establishes that uh, Joe is a troublemaker. He's on suspension. The, the cop, the answering cop to the scene comes in. He's like, how are you going to explain this one? Blah, blah, blah. And Joe just kind of just laughs at him and walks away. He definitely, uh, definitely, uh, walks to his own tune, does his own thing. I mean, I, I see a lot of him and some of my characteristics of, uh, our, the RTG brand is definitely, uh, I can, I can definitely, uh, feel Joe Huff. I definitely channel Joe Huff a lot when I'm writing or just hanging out day to day. Wearing, wearing a duster jacket. Oh, every 
day, okay. every day. Very practical for the uh, climate that you live in. So we meet Joe Hoff, our hero. So naturally, our next uh, direction, we got to see who the bad guys are going to be. So as the opening credits go, we are seeing footage of bikers. Uh, most specifically, we see Ice, played by William Forsythe. Now, one of the uh, the group of bikers, the club, known as the Brotherhood, has been uh, sentenced uh, for killing a minister. And so, naturally, Ice goes and kills the judge who, who sentenced him. So we see all of that. And then we cut over to our uh, hero again. And once again, RTG, you mentioned this. Joe Huff preparing his pet iguana's breakfast. Yeah, so what... Okay, let's let's look at some of the ingredients he put in his pet iguana. First of all, we're saying a pet iguana. I mean, how many people have a pet iguana? I think just Joe Huff. But I think I saw what... I saw some Snickers. Snickers. I saw some eggs, mm-hmm. right? Eggs, protein. Some uh, e- Eagle some brand juice. potato chips, Eagle I believe. Eagle brand potato chips. Did he put some juice, some kind of juice in there to get it... To get it nice there, and blended. There was and some Tabasco. Tabasco. Tabasco sauce. Oh, yeah. I mean, he definitely is a man who cares for his pet iguana. And he named it uh, Fido. I mean, that's just a very original name. I mean, I don't know any other animal named Fido. So props to Joe for that originality. And, you know, I mean, I mean, he has like a tender little moment with his iguana. He kind of picks it up and gives it like a hug. I mean, I mean, you can't do that with like a dog or a cat. I mean, you got to have an iguana. I mean, that's just a that's just a straight up badass man. Anyone with a pet iguana, just like uh, what um, Chuck Chuck Norris in Invasion USA, he had like an armadillo or something like he that. He did have an armadillo. He I did. I mean, uh, Chuck Norris is he's badass as a pet armadillo, and now. Uh, Brian Bosworth with a pet iguana. And I guess maybe, maybe Brian Bosworth was trying to set himself apart because as we all know, this is the action movie that everyone thought was going to make Brian Bosworth a international action superstar. So, you know, there's a, there's another connection that I'll make to invasion USA. And that is uh, John Stone is one of the, one of the better action movie or action hero names you can put on a guy. I think that John is, Clearly the best first name you can give to an action hero, but uh, Stone is a pretty solid second name. Um, and then uh, Invasion USA, if you remember, Chuck's, one of his good buddies, the old man there at the Bayou, is John Eagle. Right. Which might be the best name ever. Who is yeah. the creator of the potato chips that uh, was put oh, in the blender. Oh my God. For the iguana. So. Ugh. Maybe we should end. Maybe we should end this podcast now. Yeah, and we also have you know John McClane. So, and this at the end of this movie kind of turns into a little diehard, bit of diehard channel. It, it again. does. So, it sure does. So and I mean, yeah, they were, I, oh, were on to something, man. They really were. And I recall a uh, post on bulletproofaction.com where Chet actually uh, talked about all the virtues of the name John and yeah. how people should name their children John, but ironically. Chad didn't do it himself. So no, there's that. No, I'm sorry. All right. So Joe Huff uh, gets uh, paid a visit by the FBI, um, and they want him to go undercover in Mississippi to infiltrate uh, Chains Coopers. He, he's the he's the man behind the Brotherhood or in charge of the Brotherhood. And they pick him for a, a really actually a good reason, because Huff has had more biker-related arrests than any other cop. I don't Actually, maybe that's a horrible reason, because... 
<laughs> wouldn't the word have gotten out that, yeah. you know, this is the cop who busted me. I mean, unless he's like everybody he arrests instantly dies. Well, it was, a, it was a different state. He was a uh, most. Well, that's true. He, he's in Alabama. Yeah. Right. You, you got to realize that Alabama, Mississippi, early, well, early 90s, people move at a very slow pace. So we didn't have all the internet and all that good stuff back then. But, you know, as, as we keep on talking about this podcast, we're going to dive into a little uh, background check. So, Right. And the two FBI guys, we meet them at Lance, uh, Sam McMurray and Cunningham, who was played by Richard Gant. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if you've seen any kind of movies, you're, you're probably familiar with both gentlemen. Um, I, you know, Richard Gant, I think to me is always most famous for uh, Rocky five. Yeah. Um, or infamous for Rocky five. One thing that stone cold does well is it, it really, really leans into the stereotypes, uh, which is good for an action film. Cause you don't have to spend 11 minutes telling me about a sidekick or 20 minutes. telling me about how bad this villain is. You can just tell me that he's in a, uh, basically like a, you know, he's got SS Nazi signs everywhere. He's in like a white supremacy, uh, hardcore one percenter biker gang. I realize they're pretty bad dudes. I get that. That's a stereotype. I'll take that. And then with the FBI guys, they're kind of like, uh, with, with Sam McMurray's character, he's kind of like, uh, he's weak and he's, he's wimpy. Uh, you know, he's like a, uh, he's afraid of, he's a germaphobe. Like he's got all these qualities that you would think of in like this federal agent who just kind of squeaks by uh, and attaches himself to Brian Bosworth's character. But uh, I think that that helps this film keeps the runtime down and it keeps the action kind of more at the forefront, which is what it needed. Andy never tries to bust Brian's balls either. He pretty much has his, even though he is a germaphobe and, uh, a, a wimpy dude. He he has Brian's uh, back. He has Joe Huff's back the entire film. Never you know turns on him. They never really even have arguments. And that's for a little sidekick. That's uh, I got to give him points. I I really and on this viewing recently, I was like, man, I I really like this character. I mean, I don't like him as much as Joe Huff, but I mean, there's not many things in this world I like more than Joe Huff. So. Yeah, he's got his back the whole time, believes he's the right man for the job, and, and, and the way he's approaching it is, is the right way. Um, and this coming up is where we find out why RTG was selected for this episode, because we start getting into RTG territory, because after uh, Joe agrees to, to kind of do this FBI thing, Lance is there first thing the next morning to visit and uh, get them started, and that's where we get... Uh, uh, he gets to see a little bit more than he planned on when he uh, showed up at uh, Joe's apartment. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and just take this one. Uh, he, he meets uh Joe's girlfriend who's uh, well at first, first he meets Joe's pet iguana. Well, he doesn't really, he picks up the, like the iguanas in a sheet or something like that. He never really sees the iguana thing because his attentions all turn to uh, Laura Albert. That's her name. Uh, she does have a name. That's that's her real name. She plays Joe's girlfriend. She's naked in the bed, and she kind of just rolls over and gives uh, our buddy a nice little peek. And if you think she's familiar, you might know her as a stripper from the movie Roadhouse. So that's uh, that's probably why I was brought <laughs> on here to share that uh, that knowledge about. Uh, and it, it was it was it was a very you know very um, 
non-gratuitous. It definitely went with the plot scene. And I was, uh, you know, she's, she, I mean, she, she's like charming and I, I could tell she was a great actress just from those few seconds she was on screen. And it was another really good casting decision. And, and it was very, you know, she's just sitting in the lane of the bed and turns over and, and the rest is history. She gets up and just walks away and, that's really the last time we see her, but you know, we'll never forget her. And from there, if that wasn't enough, uh, the first place that Joe goes with Lance, uh, to kind of infiltrate the, the brotherhood is a nice strip club called tit for tat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, someone could write a great coffee table book about strip clubs and action films. And, uh, the name tit for tat would be in there somewhere. It's a great name. And, and, you know, Joe and uh, Lance go in there. Lance kind of like joins in with Joe. He meets him in the parking lot and Lance looks like an idiot. He's got this like, you know, just bought denim jacket on and the hat and the bandana and all that stuff. So Joe kind of gives him the old quick uh, once over, he rips his sleeves off. He's like, oh man, come on, this is brand new. So then they, they go into the club and uh, Joe's kind of giving him a layout like, hey, this is the guy that, I'm going to be trying to, to get close to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ruffle some feathers kind of thing. And then um, Lance is really just kind of there to watch as we are as viewers and, uh, and see what kind of shit that Joe can get into. And the one thing to keep in mind is uh, you never, if you're at a biker strip club and you're at a bar and you're getting a beer, I don't think you really ask for a glass Cause no. you know, that's just like one of the, one of the, the, the do nots. And I think the bartender should have known something was up then, but we'll give them a pass. And, and there's some, uh, a couple, you know, you have some glimpses of some, uh, biker strippers, I guess that's what we call them. Some good eye candy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very good eye candy. I mean, um, Stone Cold does a good job of establishing, Hey, we're going to, you know, it's already a movie already with a nice little violence. So now we're gonna have some, um, non-gratuitous naked women dancing for you know dollars or maybe they're doing they're up to something else i think we're about to get to but the the strippers definitely add something uh special to the stone cold plot and the flow and i was once again highly entertained yeah so uh this is where uh joe or as as an undercover named john stone confronts ice and basically just, just says hey man i just got out of prison looking to i heard you guys are are the are the guys that run the town around here and uh ice is instantly suspicious of john stone and he never loses that suspicion for the entire movie i'll give him that much credit um and then we find out that the girls they're selling speed to the truckers that stop into this establishment to to unwind and get a little eye candy as chad had mentioned and uh apparently they sold him some bad stuff this leads to a fight the obligatory action movie bar fight happens right here and uh you know john tries to make, get some uh, points with ice and he gets involved yeah it's great it's it's so many great things that they slipped into this one scene you know of course the the strip club which is you know that it, it's in every eighties, nineties action movie, they just early nineties, they would just like slide this in and at a random scene. Um, and you know, 13 year old Chad was loving it. Uh, and then, uh, so is 36 year old Chad, but, um, and then at the, you know, towards the end of the scene, the, the, the bar fight breaks out, the truckers, Hey, we want our money back. We got bad shit. And then, so ice is basically telling them, you know, up yours kind of thing. And 
the two bikers fighting like the six truckers. Uh, so of course, John Stone sees the the opportunity to to make a make an imprint on him, and he jumps in and starts beating the crap out of some truckers. Uh, which who doesn't like doing that, right? Yeah, I mean truck truck stop uh, beat downs, truck, yeah, truck stop bar fights, right? Truck truck stop bar fights, yeah. Definitely, I mean, it's definitely establishes the fact that. Uh, well, we already already know this, but John Stone, Joe Huff, he's he's a bad some bitch, and uh, he gets he gets a few shots in, and he beats up some truckers, and and definitely leaves an impression on the biker gang. Not not just ice, but uh, was it gut? Yeah, gut. Yeah. That's who he really leaves the impression on. Gut. I mean, I mean these names, ice, gut. I mean, <laughs> there's like, like, like you said earlier, the stereotypes. But it works for perfect. this movie. It's perfect because it's not. You know, they don't give them, just just have a nickname. You know, just uh, just a like a one one or two syllable nickname because we don't want to get complicated. We don't. Hey, maybe it could be too. Brian Bosworth was not the most uh, polished actor, maybe because he hadn't had a lot of experience acting. So hey, let's get these guys really like short names, so it's easy right. for easier for him to uh, to memorize, and he can just uh, focus on riding a motorcycle and looking badass. And, and I think it's a it's a testament to Baxley's uh, ability to not always point the camera at the star so much, but or the script. Maybe your script's not the best thing ever. It, it doesn't need to be in a 1991 action film. Maybe you're your star is not the best ever. It's like his first big role in a lead. Uh, but look at all the cool shit in the background, right? Like look, look at the act, look at the scenes in the background. Look at this random naked chick behind you. Look at him like feeding this pet iguana, uh, some crazy meal. Like he just like puts in so many weird things that it makes it unforgettable as a film. And you, uh, I mean, definitely. I mean, we, we've talked about William Forsythe and when we'll get to the, to the main bad guy in a, in a little bit, but without those two guys, uh, this stone cold just wouldn't be the same film. I mean, these, this is a quality William Forsythe's eyes is a quality, like top quality henchman. I mean, when, when we meet Lance Hendr Lance Henderson's character in a few minutes, he's a top quality, you know, top heel or top boss or whatever, but William Forsythe's eyes, man. I mean, he, I mean, for the time he's on the screen, like every single scene he commands and, I mean, that's just to his, you know, his acting ability and, and Baxley's knowledge of, hey, let's cast the right people for the right parts. And it was definitely great casting with 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 these supporting people we're meeting, with the FBI guys, with these uh, bikers. So Joe is uh, Joe, Brian Bosworth, John, whatever we're going to call him. He's getting a lot, a lot of help. And that just once again helps the movie flow really smooth. So Gut is very impressed by John Stone, invites him to the Brotherhood rally that's taking place. And uh, again, we get a little uh, John Stone ice action as uh, the two of them race. And uh, John Stone smokes them. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely straight out of like a uh, uh, rat or some other or just some BMX uh, racing, motorcycle racing. Uh, I mean, he I mean, he kicks his ass. And I mean, this and, and this is one of those things that. It's probably gonna it's gonna lead to something else in the road because you think about it we have a chase right now or not a chase well kind of a chase it's like a race and and later on in the film there's gonna be another 
you know, chase race between these two characters. So I, I think uh, Baxley sets this up really nice. And he also, also in this scene, and it's the, the nude scene that I remember the most from when I first watched this movie back in 1991. Was, you know, the outhouse with the, the two or three, two or three lovely ladies taking, you know, taking a bath or a shower, taking shower. a shower in the yeah. middle of, uh, in the middle of uh, a family picnic, because, you know, here they are, they're, there's not really a door, and you, and if you if you pay attention, you'll see like little like families, like little biker kids, little you know you know people pushing little biker kids and strollers just right past the uh, little little bathing area, shower area. They're so, trying yeah. to show you that the brotherhood is a family. Yeah, the brotherhood is is definitely yeah. a a family. No matter uh, you know they might be bad, but they're still a family. They they accept they accept people. And once you're accepted into the brotherhood, you're a part of the brotherhood. And that's what gets you in the door and keeps you in the door and makes you do what they want you to do. And you, you cannot leave the brotherhood because once you're in, you're in. For life. For life. Hit my music. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, since we're on the wrestling uh, uh, track, uh, trend there. Let's get into this one because John Stone then gets to uh, take on Mountain, who is played by Mega Man Tom McGee. And wrestling uh, historians may recall that Tom McGee was actually somebody that Vincent Kennedy McMahon had high hopes for, thought he was going to be his next Hulk Hogan. Um, and I think just uh, in the last year, they finally found this match between Tom McGee and Bret the Hitman Hart that basically got Tom McGee his contract because it was such a good match. But you found out after the Bret Hart match that it was Bret Hart that made that match so good. And Tom McGee never really amounted to anything in the world wrestling federation. And, you know, I've seen clips from that match that you're talking about and it, it just shows you how awesome Bret Hart was. And if you ever like question Bret Hart in the nineties, uh, for one, that was not smart to do, but, uh, two, Watching that Tom McGee match tells you 100% that Bret Hart could have a good match with a chair if he wanted to, or a broomstick, or maybe my great-grandmother's crutches. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, so Tom McGee, his, his best match ever was with Bret Hart, but I would think his second best match was with John Stone uh, as part of the Brotherhood Rally. Um, but now here's where we get the main man. We finally really get to meet Chains, and we don't just get to meet him, uh, RTG, but John Stone gets to meet Chains, played by the great Lance Henriksen. Oh yeah, this is this is a uh, a very good uh, introduction to our main villain, Mister Chains, and once again another very original original name. And I believe what what happens like he pretty much offers him his girlfriend right up right up front is is that what happens when they first meet yeah i yeah i think they were kind of while while uh, john was fighting mountain they were going through john's van and seeing what this guy was all about and she was just going through all his personal effects and when he shows up he's like hey get out of here but then yeah chains like you know what why don't you have a little time with her in your van and i'll just sit out here and wait for you until you're done and uh kind of interesting yeah it's very uh <laughs> it's like, i guess what's what's yours is mine and what's 
mine is yours or it's a classic this, move. Yeah, once again, this like this brotherhood thing, and it also too gives us a time to to meet uh, Chains's girlfriend, so Nancy. Nancy, and so it's 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 a vital scene, and and also I think I guess the other members of the brotherhood are probably a little bit I would say scared of Chains because you know he's pretty psycho Definitely. leader, and so, but. Uh, one person who's not scared of him is Joe Huff or John Stone or Brian Bosworth or whatever. So it definitely sets the, you know, I guess what Chain sees in John is, wow, this dude is, you know, this, this, this dude might be something and, and he's, he may, okay. So he might have a little bit of, of blinders on. Cause okay, Chad, here we go beyond the law with your boy, Charlie Sheen and Michael Madsen, right? That's like that's, that's like Chris. That's like, he loves that. Yes, that's one one of y'all's favorite favorite biker movie of all time. Like Michael Madsen's character had blinders for Charlie Sheen's uh, Tiger Blood almost the the entire entire film. His blinders were on him. He didn't see any of the hints. He didn't, you know, he, this this was his boy. This was his man. So just right at the beginning with the meeting, you you can tell Lance Hendrickson is starting to hey you know this guy could be could be but i i don't think he ever really goes full uh what like it went beyond the law but he definitely uh he's definitely takes an interest to john stone and that's the reason that stone was was selected in the first place or that huff was selected in the first place because he you know he knows about bikers or biker gangs or what have you from alabama so the first time we see him in the biker bar he's telling us about ice he's telling about this group and he said i'm gonna go shake things up a bit so he he has this air of confidence to him you know he's he comes out there and he projects power and i think that's that's what he's doing mm -hmm. this whole introduction with chains he's projecting power he goes to this rally and he immediately wins this motorcycle race and then walks off you know steps off his bike and walks every beast of shit out of like the baddest dude in the rally so I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's, don't, there's nowhere to go from there. You can't go up anymore. So he heads back to his van and he's lo and behold, there's chains sitting there. So even then he's like, get out of my van. You know what I mean? So he's projecting power to the most powerful guy in the rally. So change is like, I think he's a little taken aback by it. He's like, Oh my God, this guy's got something I need. I got to have this. And it's like a salesman coming in to a sales company and selling them on something. You're like, Oh shit, we got to hire this guy. So, uh, I think that's where change was at. And I think that's what he was thinking. Okay. And then we go into, we see the whole brotherhood compound. Um, and this is where once again, John Stone's going to show up. But first we, we find that, uh, chains, you know, kind of has a hard on for the district attorney whip Brent Whipperton who's actually running for governor and obviously trying to make a name for himself with the, the voters by going after these criminals who have been causing all sorts of troubles, such as uh, their boy who uh, shot the minister and how he plans on, you know, asking for the death penalty for the guy. Um, so that's got, he's like public enemy number one for chains in the brotherhood. And that's about the time where Joe shows up or John uh, and he has a bulletproof vest as a gift and this leads to one of the more interesting scenes as these two guys continue to play these mind games with one another. And he also, when he when he shows up to the compound, 
in his bandana with the what's what's it like a like a greenish it's like a like a bright like green a neon green <laughs> a, a neon green bandana i mean if that don't stand out i don't know what is and you know he presents uh chains with the uh, bulletproof vest and so naturally chains you know being the guy he is i said oh let's let uh joe try it on john try it on or brian whatever we're gonna call him. let's let the boss try it on so he puts it on him then he shoots his ass i mean i mean i mean that's just like so stereotypical biker biker gang cultural activity i mean you couldn't have asked for a more you know hey this is what these badass bikers are going to do. And and like you said, Brain, they're, 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 they're playing mind games with each other. They're feeling each other out. These are definitely two alpha dogs. And when there's two alpha dogs in the room, only one of them is going to have the bigger bite, man, and the bigger bark. And they're both just, just sniffing each other out. The great thing about it is it gives Stone Cold some pure bulletproof action. Isn't that right, Chad? Amen. And it, it needs it, too, because at this point, you know, there's a lot of tension in the room. But if anything, it's a tension breaker. It's an icebreaker of sorts because, you know, it, 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 to me, it was like when, uh, um, when Chains shoots him, it's like the Charlie Murphy, like it's a Rick James story. Like that's like something that Rick James would have done in a Charlie Murphy story it was like, turn around, bitch. And then he shoots him in the chest with it and he just laughs at him. Uh, but it's like a straight baller move. And it's like, I have the power. Look at me. But Stone doesn't you know, cower like a little punk, he goes after him. So he shows that he's not a punk too. And then I think that even though ice at this point is still a little bit leery of him, chains is all, he's all about him. He's slobbering over this guy at this point. Yeah. And then uh, chains decides to send uh, John out on a mission to uh, get the ear of the Bolivian yeah. uh, played by Paulo. Paulo Toka, who uh, yeah. obviously you might recognize from Bloodsport. He's been in a lot of things, but Pocket. Bloodsport was the first thing that came to mind uh, when I saw him. I forgot I forgot he was in this movie because it's been a while. Um, so uh, John hops on his hog and uh, or horse. Didn't he call it his horse at one point? Yeah, anyway, he, he, gets on his, yeah. he gets on his motorcycle and uh, goes to Pensacola and finds uh, the Bolivian, uh, you know, had a little dance club, getting his groove on. And uh, next thing you know, he's got him under arrest. And they're making a, a fake uh, Bolivian ear to uh, for John to take back to Chains. You got to have the hookup, man. So, I mean, <laughs> they go to a tattoo artist and you know, they, they they tattoo the, the Bolivian whatever, whatever that tattoo was. And, and then they deport the Bolivian. <laughs> and then he's like, here you go. See you later, fella. And, you know, you you know, hey, or is this the last time we're going to see this guy? I guess we'll find out later when we keep this discussion going on this podcast. But uh, definitely that's a awesome scene. And and before, like when they're in the bar and, and he's dancing, I mean, you see this, the Bolivian dancing away, having fun. And then Joe like said, hey, you know, hey, man, you, you sure can dance or, or something like that. He's just like telling him how good of a dancer he was and. Then Bolivian's like, oh, hold up. <laughs> Wait a minute, don't. And then he just, what, what does he do? Like slams his head into the. Yeah, he says, you should take a bow. And he's like, yeah. what? You should take a bow. And he makes him take a bow when he yeah. slams his head on the uh, top of the bar. So, yeah, excellent scene there excellent. for John Stone. What about John Stone's outfit, though? Um, He was dressed. Wasn't he dressed a little nicer in this one, right? He, he dressed well, up. There, like- uh, yeah, I would assume there may have been a dress code to get into this club. So he couldn't come in there with his. Uh, 
biker finest. This could have been the only scene in the film where his uh, nipples or his chest was not exposed. <laughs> I think maybe because <laughs> it was every single thing he wore was, you know, we didn't have undershirt. I guess we didn't have undershirts in 1991. So especially for the boss, because he wants to show off his ripped uh, figure that was probably never once used anabolic steroids. You know, of course not. You know, he probably got that all natural. So definitely they want to show off their, their lead and every single chance they got, they showed him without a shirt, without, with his muscles. And cause you know, he's a badass dude. Yeah. And it's funny cause you know, they, they sent John stone out there to take care of this guy in Pensacola, um, which is a hell of a lot of responsibility for a prospect, a guy who you've known for like 36 hours um, who is not even sure he wants to prospect for one. <laughs> He's not even that committed to it. Uh, so you're sending him out essentially to murder somebody. And then he gets back with this little ear, with a tattoo on it. And then you're like, all right, well take, take these guys out and go make some collections. Um, so it's no longer my second in command's job to do this. Now it's one day old prospects job. Go ahead. Yep. Going out there with Tool and uh, and Nancy and, and uh, I guess Tool's lady. Um, and Tool doesn't fare too well because <laughs> he eats a grenade from uh, one of the mobsters who are also uh, collecting from people in this area. Man, man Tool, Tool, like, it, who's having the worst day ever? Well, on that day, it was definitely Tool. I mean, somehow he survives the explosion, but my God, I mean, he is uh, just, I mean, I, I don't know how long they, they took in, in the makeup chair to, to get Tool looking like a complete Tool because man, he his face is something that I don't even think uh, somebody's, um, what do they call the girlfriends of the uh, the old lady or whatever, not not even the old lady could, could love that face, man, because that was... Uh, that was pretty horrendous. But yeah, that's a great another great scene that shows the the familial family brotherhood. Like we're we're in this. Look at they show up to the hospital. There's like twenty of them, and they're like shoving Domino's pizzas down his throat and like <laughs> taking shots. Yeah. And like here, drink this. You know, like cracking open old Milwaukee's and stuff. Like everybody's uh, they basically bring their party to him because he's a part of their family. I mean, it's a cool scene. No matter how bad these guys are, I could see the pull towards a group that acts this way for their members. I could see it. I'm not going to join it, but uh, I could see it. And uh, I think, once again, Chains uh, flexes his muscle because he tells uh, Tool's uh, girlfriend or whatever that you're going to, you know, marry this guy and you know, yeah, this handsome. Pictures. Those wedding yeah. pictures are going to be awesome. I mean, oh, man. I mean, I mean, could you imagine that the glamour shots of of their wedding? I mean, golly, that would be. It's going to be good. Now, but you know, great. you know, skipping way ahead. Um, when this is all said and done, Tool may be the only one like not in jail or dead. So That's you know, right. he may have at the end actually left out. Hey, and, and he might even be getting laid. I mean, I I, I don't know if like he because they. They never really said, I mean, did he get his legs or anything blown off? No, they, they looked under the sheet and said his tool was still there. So he could still be functioning in that respect. His dick was intact. So at least he has a tool and he has a nice looking wife. So, hey, he might have uh, getting blown up by the mob might have been the best thing ever happened to him in the long run. So I think at the end of this film, the members of the Brotherhood who are still around uh, are the ones you wouldn't expect 
Tool being one of them. And they might just pick up right where change left off and take over. Maybe they'll do the same thing. Maybe they'll do something new. We'll see. I mean, we we could have we could have we could have a spinoff, and Tool could be the could be the leader. I was and... say, Chad Cruz has got his creative cap on. And oh God! Oh, right, no. writing a writing a sequel as we speak. I'm booking it. Oh, oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so the whole mob uh, involvement leads to a, a fantastic scene at a restaurant um, because. Uh, uh, John pitches a, a a plan to sell some P2P, um, some drugs, and you know they want the mob to to be the buyer, and uh, they uh, bring the mob a gift inside. It's wrapped inside a motorcycle helmet. Oh, it's classic. It's it's a uh, it's a great scene with John Stone and Chains walking into this real nice restaurant. This uh, lavish restaurant with these mobsters sitting at this table and they're bringing they're carrying this gift box and uh i sit down on the table and the guy pulls the thing out and it's a helmet it's a motorcycle helmet with a visor on it he's like i don't sorry i don't ride you know what i mean and then james <laughs> no shit. and Anderson's great right like i don't know i read somewhere that he every line that he has was written by him and i hope that's true but he like takes a breadstick and he just starts tapping on the helmet open it up and they open up the visor and there's, <laughs> there's a face in, in the helmet. Right. So uh, I'm assuming the face was connected to a head. Right. I believe it was Dimitri, the guy who, yeah, you know, the threw face. the, threw the grenade at old, poor old tool. The grenadier. So, yes. Oh, great. oh, very nice. It's a great scene. And I've, it would have been made better. I don't know if it'd been, been better, better or worse if uh, stone and chains had had like little bow ties on. <laughs> like they're going into this nice restaurant and they have to have a tie on. So they have like both ties on. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wanted that so bad. And, you know, you know, props to the uh, mob guys for not freaking out when they open up the motorcycle helmet and see their old friend or. Well, you know, I, I think that establishes that they're legit mob guys. Yeah, and they've seen, definitely. seen that and worse. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, this is the, this is the life they chose and th- that's what you get. Uh, plus, they don't, you know, they don't want to sell it too. You don't want to show weakness in right. front of, uh, in front of chains. So, um, so this gets the ball rolling for for Joe Huff, and he gets with Lance, and they kind of start figuring out this plan as a way that they could get the Brotherhood and the mob all wrapped up. And you know, he thinks he can get Nancy uh, to to turn on chains and and uh, confess against him. But before we get into anything more, I do. There was a scene here where, again, we see Chains, who's really obsessed with the district attorney whip, and he displays some of the most amazing VCR skills I have ever seen. <laughs> and this is a movie that the two of you, I'm sure, tried to yes. uh, hone your VCR yes. skills with yes. your rewind, pause, slow mo. Yes. Were you ever able to be as good as uh, Lance Henriksen was in this film? With your with your VCR skills. Well, well, my my compilations were uh, different scenes of different uh, women in series of undress. I used to have me a nice little collection there. So, but I don't think my editing skills were anything anything remotely close to this. The 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 VC. He's the quintessential VCR guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just awesome. And he's got he's got that quick thumb when it comes to that rewind pause button. But 
I ha- I was much more of a memory guy, right? So I would I would rewind the tape to the very beginning, but I would rem- remember at exactly three hours and eleven minutes into this film, there's a good ass scene. So and oh, I would yeah. have these memorized. You know, at fourteen, <laughs> I don't care about school, of course. <laughs> yeah. But uh, by golly, I could tell you on this six-hour VHS tape over here with three random films on it, random to you, but I know what I'm doing here when I put these movies on here. But so I, you could fast forward to right where you needed to be. Lord of mercy, I was good. But uh, if only those skills would translate to real life. Hey, so so Chad, did you ever like break a tape that maybe you shouldn't have broke? You know what I mean? Like maybe it wasn't your tape or and you watched it too many times and you would always rewind it back to where it was supposed to go. Did did, did you ever have one of those experiences? You mean you wore it out? Well, or like it just, yeah. Or like you just rewound it. Like, you know, like, Hey, I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to put this movie back to where it's supposed to be at. Cause you know, maybe it would have been like not a movie that you might get in trouble watching. Yeah. So, I, that, yeah, that, I had, that was the practice of rewinding every tape, man. That's where it comes yeah. into play. You always yeah. keep the tape rewound that way. It's easy to go back. And and then there's no fee either. Um, Absolutely. Keeps money <laughs> hey, in the pocket. Hey, just, hey just, just one quick thing, too, about uh, Whip, uh, our DA, and his obsession with getting the uh, Brotherhood member resentenced. I'm not really sure about court law, but... I guess once you get sentenced to like 30 years in jail, cause he get, he, he, he would get up and say, I'm going to keep appealing this until I get the death penalty. So I don't really think that's like legal, but I don't think that matters because uh, uh, RTG is not, I'm um, sorry for talking to third person. I'm, I'm not here to be the legal expert in the stone cold. I'm here to talk about the mullets and the babes and the, the bullets and the blood. But I, that's something that I just chuckled on because I'm like, wait a minute, that would be like the defense, you know, appealing a, a, a sentence, not the prosecution. I guess you could do you could overturn a state conviction and try them at the federal level, which I'm sorry for putting any like knowledge or going above the the, the stone cold uh, plot. But that I just got to chuckle out of that. And plus, he was also running for governor. So anything to get elected. So. Of course, he killed a preacher. So why not? You know, why not get the maximum penalty? And you know that 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 law. He was definitely a law and order uh, type of candidate. Yeah, and I'll say this about Whip, right? Or Whipperton. He's uh, a good name, uh, a great uh, uh, nickname, the Whip. Right? I don't know who coined that. I don't know if it was Chains or whoever it was, but I love Whip as a nickname. But he had awesome campaign videos. You know, his accent was fantastic, and his campaign videos were great. And like you said, he he's the law and order guy. He's bringing in the national guard. He's cracking down on these gangs and the underground, underworld, whatever he calls them. And it gives even more, uh, you know, reason for for Chains and Ice and all these guys to to want him dead and want him out of the picture. And you just brought up the National Guard, and that's really a, a turning point in this movie because Chains actually kills two National Guardsmen. And this kind of changes everything with the Brotherhood because Nancy gets freaked out. Gut even speaks up and says, hey, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. And, uh, you know, there's this is kind of throwing everything into a little bit of disarray for the Brotherhood. 
yeah, everything goes to everything goes to hell in this. Like just like in uh, Point Break when uh, uh, Bodie crosses that final line, shooting that undercover in, in the bank. This is the uh, this is the no this is the no turning back. This is you know they're all gonna pay for their sins moment when he. I mean, puts those guys in a box and he just and you're like, okay, what what's he doing? And he just executes them and it just shows his uh, savageness and the fact that he's a evil guy and. But it also sets up the hey these this, this brotherhood let's let's stop with the sympathy for the brotherhood and let's focus on uh, uh, Brian Bosworth's revenge. Yeah, it starts to spiral out of control. I think for the for the gang because, like you said, with Gut, the guy who wanted nothing more than to be a member, um, and who kind of brought John Stone in, and nancy who really found you know she tells us later a little bit a scene or two later like how she really found kind of her place there her family and everything so you had these people who like they wanted to be there and now they're second guessing themselves so these this scene these two scenes here and then the the next one with with ice like it's kind of the beginning of the end for the brotherhood yeah, uh, you you talked about it where Nancy and uh, and John are kind of having lunch, and she kind of opens up to him about it, and then uh, John gets slipped a message from his boy Lance, who was uh, undercover as a waiter at this <laughs> restaurant, to meet him at meet him at a parking lot, you know, a little bit of a ways, and uh, Ice is coming in just as uh, John is going out, and he decides he's going to follow uh, our hero John, and uh, kind of figures out all his suspicions were true. There's something not right about John stone. And he just opens fire right in the middle of the day at, uh, hey, yeah, at yeah. Joe Huff and Lance and, uh, says, I I'll see you at the compound and takes off. And, uh, this leads to that, that chase scene you were talking about earlier, uh, RTG. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if you notice, he calls John Joe in this yes. scene. So I don't know if that was a slip. I don't know if he heard, like heard the name because I don't think he had heard from his contact yet that no, because yeah, they hadn't called yet. yet. So I think that could have been just a, uh, a slip of the tongue or, or if we're going to talk about continuity here, if he's calling him Joe, but I've called him everything. No, no, not you. If, if, uh, if we enforce if ice is calling him Joe for no reason, go back and watch this scene and you guys probably noticed it. Or if you didn't go back and watch it again, how many different times does uh, Ice go from uh, wearing a bandana to not wearing a bandana <laughs> in like a chase scene? Uh, it's great. Go back and watch it. It's fun. Hey, uh, but it, it, in in that chase scene, uh, Brian's uh, stunt double. I mean, the the, the stunt double. If I, I'm not sure how, how much stunts Brian Bosworth did, but his double is is really good because it, it almost right. I mean, it really looks like him in a lot of the in a lot of the scenes. So that was something I noticed, but Baxley's always been like really freaking good at uh, stunts. I mean, that's, that's his bread and butter. Right, yeah. That, that's, that's how he got started in the industry. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, and again, why, why these films, uh, while they may not have been huge blockbusters uh, compared to, you know, Terminator two or uh, a Rambo movie, you know, they're, they're perfect. Uh, for the the diehard action movie lovers, such as the three of us, and and obviously those who are listening, I assume are also 
or they just really like Chad Cruz. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think like out of our 10 listeners that we get on average, I think at least six of them listen just because of Chad. I mean, that's just, that's just a guess. Yeah. I, I always like to sign off with uh, just a, a sweet serenade to put him to sleep. So I have heard that feedback that you do put uh, people to sleep uh, while they listen. <laughs> So, yeah, we get the big motorcycle chase, but uh, it ends and we uh, find out that Ice will not be spilling any beans about his discovery that John is Joe and how he figured that out. We're still not sure, but that's all right, uh, because we're not going to know because he's dead. Um, And that leads. And that's about the time where Nancy actually picks up the phone from the uh, Biloxi PD who is calling chains back, finds out that John Stone is really Joe Huff, but. At that point, she still doesn't know he's a cop. She kind of suspects he might be, um, but he he flat out says, no, I'm not a cop, and, and we ended at that. But now we've got the ironic funeral because Ice, his funeral involves fire. I mean, that's perfect, isn't it? I mean, what a send-off, right? You know, it's almost like they stuffed him. I mean, or he's, he's up there, Mr. Mr. Rigor Mortis, on his bike. Yeah, it's great. And I've jokingly but seriously told uh, told my family many times that, you know, when I die, someone build me, for the love of God, build me a funeral pyre and just let me. You, you, you want the Viking funeral? I would. I want nothing more than that. Is that too much to ask for? And Ice gets it, you know, despite his name of Ice, they should have frozen him. But they burnt the shit out of him and they burn his his uh, his hog. Or someone, right. someone's hog. His 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 blew up. Yeah, they so they must have just had an extra one. Yeah, they probably just took, for this for these purposes. He probably took guts. So 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 you you wonder like how did they hear about you know like like what did they think happened to him? Did he did they think he was just getting chased and he got into a wreck and he died and like if so who was chasing him? You know. And how did they how did they get the body? Wouldn't the body have been taken to the morgue? So like were they next of kin? Uh, was there some sort of paperwork they had? I mean, how how they claimed the body in less than like um, I'm guessing like five hours after death. I mean, that's I mean they they could have maybe done it for religious pur- purposes or something. But because um, I don't know if if, if we're gonna get it, dive into that, but we have a lot of um, religious references, especially with. Uh, with, with chains, there's there's a lot of uh, biblical stuff you could almost you, you could look at with chains as a uh, character. Uh, yeah, unless John himself brought the body home because uh, <laughs> yeah. he was right there. Maybe he had you know. I was like, I'll take it. Don't worry about it. He's like, oh, oh yeah, officer. Uh, there's 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 no need to notify the next of kin. Uh, I'm I'm part of the family. We're we're a biker gang that you know deals in drugs and guns and kills people. So I'll just take my fallen comrade back with me and present him to a, a leader so we can give him a nice uh, Viking send off. Well, here was my thought, right? You know, I've, I've been, I've been on the scene of a few crimes myself. <laughs> After the fact or during? But, uh, anywho, uh, they, uh, they had a, a, a contact with the Biloxi PD. So maybe yes. they had a contact with whoever this local, you know, well, yeah, that that was that probably is the most logical explanation. Guy, right? Yeah. So that that's where I thought. My first thought was, oh, they must have had a guy or something, or they just showed up and dragged his ass off the street. <laughs> that that very well could have happened. I mean, they 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 live. The Brotherhood has their own set of rules, and they they live and died by them. They're so. one percenters, man. Definitely. 
definitely one percenters. So this all leads up to our uh, P2P buy, the big uh, big moment uh, that uh, Joe and Lance and, and and the F or the yeah the FBI have have set up. Um, but uh, Chains kind of throws a monkey wrench in the thing, and they don't go to the original meeting place. And this leads to just a wonderful scene as well. One of my I had forgotten how awesome this was, but now you know they have what a million dollars worth of illegal narcotics. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so so Joe's like, don't worry, I'll get them back. I got it. <laughs> and he gets on his motorcycle and he just shoots. So the trailer detaches and and it goes just rolls right into a gas station and well now now they're just burned up nobody's got the bad guys don't have them we don't have them nobody has them uh there may be a a contact buzz for people i don't know in a 30 mile radius but (laughs) at least at least nobody's gonna be making any money off those damn drugs well well maybe maybe the dentist because maybe this these contact buzzes might cause people's teeth to fall out because it's probably some sort of you know methamphetamine or, or whatever kind of drug. But yeah, I mean, at, at least the drugs are off the street. I mean, they, they just went kaboom. So right. They're in the atmosphere, but they're off the streets. Right. Let's just hope that wasn't a 24 hour gas station. We, we could have had a casualty or two. All right. So after that amazing scene, uh, John Stone returns to the uh, compound and we find out the Bolivian is back, baby. And there is trouble. <laughs> there is some trouble. How how in the hell did he even get back? I mean, I guess they deported him, and he just hops back on and flies right back. I guess. I mean, maybe maybe he had dispensation for the funeral. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> there, there you go. Thinking again. There you go. He was on funeral leave. There you go. We also so yeah, and then Chains, who really owes the Bolivian for basically revealing what Ice suspected all along that John Stone is not who he says he is. He's a cop. He gets shot, and then Nancy gets shot as well, and uh, we're we're about to hit D-Day. Yeah, because you know, because uh, God forgives, but the Brotherhood doesn't. I mean, that's just such a great line. And and first, you know, he kills Bolivian, and then he kills Nancy, and and really poor Nancy. Like her character really wasn't well written, and she was just kind of just there. But you you you're still your heart kind of is breaks for because. And then you think, oh shit, this this is the end for uh, John because there's a gun to his head. And but luckily that gun, that bullet. Oh, oh, who knows if he was planned because we have what's coming up later. But this definitely a, a definitely a, a tense scene with with the gun. And I think even John probably thought, hey man, this is it. Yeah. This, this yeah. is my last. This this is my last ride on my horse. But 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 it's more uh, classic. Uh, movie bad guy stupidity yeah um where they let him live because uh, i'm going to show you and and they want some big dramatic situation um and well instead of going and getting some more bullets and just blowing you away because you've been a thorn in my side and my whole brotherhood side i'm just gonna we're just gonna keep you around just for a little bit you know for one more mission or one more day or one more hour and that was uh, that was a really dumb mistake but we would have had the awesome awesome finale we're about to get to without that mistake so right i mean the plan is they tie him up in a helicopter yeah Yeah. and they're gonna put a bomb on and dump him out to cause a distraction like (laughs) that's a hell of a distraction i mean that was a very elaborate distraction i think you could have come up with like why don't you just blow up a car at the you know somewhere in the parking lot or something i I don't know but uh 
again, just to prove a point, I suppose, you know, in chains again, and it could be also like you were saying RTG with the, the religious overtones, you know, you know, chains may very well have a God complex and, you know, wanted to, he wanted to be the one to, to make, John Stone burn for for what he did. Oh, 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 definitely. He definitely has a complex because I think once we get into the discussion at, at the courthouse, I mean, what does he come in as as a priest yeah. who you know and who can easily get through the metal detector or whatever? But but definitely, I mean, we're going to come to a couple uh, uh, quotes later and just yeah, def, definitely um, he definitely had definitely has a god complex. There's 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 no doubt in my mind and. But it, once again, it makes his character so memorable and so unforgettable. And once again, like I said earlier, Stone Cold wouldn't be the same without Lance Henderson. So yeah, and he—I think he's definitely got the entertainer. He's an entertainer as well, right? They—they they, they blew up the boat of the judge. They—they they put the National Guardsmen in, the, in these boxes, these wooden boxes, before shooting them. Uh, they could have just left the dead bodies in the street, and then they're going to blow up you know, John Stone's body, like it's a freaking, uh, you know, hand grenade out of a helicopter. So he's, he's a bit of a, he's Vincent McMahon as well as a God complex guy. Yeah. A flair for the dramatic. Let's make everything big as we can. And uh, things really start going crazy. Once legalities be damned, uh, their boy trouble Owens is sentenced to the death penalty. Yeah. And this is where (laughs) Joe, at this point, Joe, Gets free in the helicopter, throws the other guy, puts the bomb with the other guy, and that causes a distraction. But then Joe jumps from the helicopter into the courthouse and uh, take it from here, Chad. Yeah, what a what a bold move that was. <laughs> uh, first off, okay, so the, the guy flying the helicopter, that was the Mac from It's Always Sunny's dad, right? Yeah, well, he, he, he's, on, he's on Bosch now, too. If anybody watches Bosch on um, Amazon, he plays... Uh, Bear a uh, crate. There's crate and barrel. I think he plays a uh, crate. Yeah, hmm. cracker barrel. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So so at this point, the boss is in this helicopter. Shit's hitting the fan truly, and he does a swan dive out of the helicopter through a massive glass window, and essentially sticks it, <laughs> sticks the landing, and just goes about murdering all these gangsters that are in there. And the gang at this point has you know. We've taken hostages and they're screaming at people and all the while they're yelling about hostages and uh, change is, is already got one foot out the door. He's like, you know, where the hell's my chopper kind of thing. Like he's already planning on getting the hell out of there. I mean, chains has already uh, disrupted like half the Mississippi. Well, there's no Mississippi Supreme court anymore because they're all either dead or almost dead because he pretty much murders everybody in that courtroom. I mean, that scene, that scene is brutal. That scene is swift and brutal. And you're just like, golly, I mean, that whole, that whole courtroom sequence is, it's just some of the best, it's some of the best action from, from that time frame. I mean, you know, think, think, think about um, hard boiled and like the, like the birdhouse scene at the beginning of hard boiled, it's just chaos and fun and just all this crazy shoot going on. I mean, I mean, this, this scene is right there. I mean, this scene is so good and it just, it stays on point and it, and it's going to take us all the way to the end. Yeah, and he he hits that line. The whip has been cracked, and yeah. uh, you know that's perfect. And yeah, just the the visual of these motorcycles going up and down the halls of the courthouse. The National Guard shows up. You've got you know state troopers there. It's 
it's it's pandemonium. Yeah, they back they like back a U-Haul up to the window and a bunch of bikes just roll out the back of it. It's it's fantastic. And and a number of the bikers, you know, cut their hair or shave their face for it, which is, you know, kudos to them. They're really <laughs> going all out with the character the gimmick. Got to look presentable to get to get into the courtroom. Yeah, so. you got to play you got to you really got to uh, you know live the gimmick there at that point. But uh Stone, he he does the gunslinger thing and he like he just steps out into a hallway. And like eyes the guy before he kills him. So that that's kind of my favorite thing is to wear. I wish he had somehow pulled a duster jacket off of somebody and put it on because I mean he's at this point he's yeah he's going full wild west. Oh, yep. and he also, he also reminds uh, Chains, you know, that angels don't die when he there. He's talking to him from was he before he jumped out the helicopter or not? It was it was one of those those yeah in the chopper. Yeah, he's like angels don't die, and there's another you know biblical thing and. I think uh, with uh, Chains earlier, earlier in the film, he's he's talking about he'd rather be, you know, there's like a saying like slave in heaven or king in hell or or, or, or something like that. So he was like, you know, I, I'd rather be first in, in hell than second in heaven or something like right. that. Right. Yep. That, that was the line. And then we get, you know, one of the most memorable moments in the movie where the motorcycle shoots out through the window into the helicopter. So there goes a wall uh, who is played by Gregory Scott Cummins, who was in fact uh, in it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And as, as RTG pointed out also in Bosch. Um, So yeah, just an amazing scene. And you know that if you had one scene to, to define stone cold, it would probably be that, that little moment there with the motorcycle into the helicopter. Yeah. That, that one definitely gets a, 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 I'm I'm sure our friends at an exploding helicopter uh, probably had a uh, very excited reaction to to the helicopter explosion in Stone Cold. Yeah, because that that's yeah v- definitely a very unique one. I, I don't know of any other movie where where a, a motorcycle was the cause of a helicopter. I mean that's I mean that's top that's that's top five helicopter explosions, right? I mean this entire finale really uh, it, it does so well at using. Every bit of the building, you know, I don't know how they got this courthouse to film in, um, but they shoot the shit out of it. They blow through windows. They have guys getting picked off the second floor, the first floor. They're riding motorcycles everywhere, up and down stairs. They got dudes getting knocked downstairs and falling down steps. They got guys standing on balconies shooting people and shit. They use every bit of of the scenery and it really works because it, it, it feels like it's a big building while also being, it feels like it's full of bad guys for Joe Johnstone to kill. So it like, it's got everything really. So yeah, at the very end of the film, Johnstone does show the restraint that you wouldn't expect him to show with chains. He has the opportunity to just off him right there and to, to prove the point. But, uh, but he doesn't. And the FBI strolls in, they, they get their man. Finally, they caught him in the act of murdering many, many people. And we get our lethal weapon moment. Lethal weapon or die hard? Die hard, brother. That too. Yes. <laughs> Old buddy saves the day. Shoots the main, shoots the main, shoots the main heel. Shoots him dead. Yep. Lance earns his keep. And uh, it proves to be the, the partner that he, he wanted to be from the beginning. Because, you know, right at the beginning, uh, Joe Huff's like, I don't work with partners. And, uh, well, maybe that maybe it changed. I guess we'll have to see in Chad's sequel uh, if if that changed. Chad, you need to just go ahead and just write this sequel, man. I, I I think we could get it made. I'd be all over it, man. I think we get Brian Bosworth's attention. Yeah, I think that there's a there's always as long as there as there are biker gangs, the world needs Joe Huff. Have you ever seen this the 
the highlight when Brian Bosworth's playing football and Bo Jackson just runs his ass over at the goal line. Yeah, I was going to mention that the only thing that could kill Brian Bosworth is Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yes. So if yeah. Chains truly wanted to kill him, he would have just had to hire Bo Jackson for an hour. And I think we have our one of our casting choices for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, Bo knows. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I, I did see that originally Craig R. Baxley was not supposed to direct this film. Brain, are you familiar with this? I am not. This is news Excellent. to me. I'm rubbing my hands vigorously. Uh, Bruce Malmuth, who uh, I didn't recognize the name, but I pulled him up and, and he, the next year, I believe, or the year prior had directed Hard to Kill. So had also done Night Hawks, Night Hawks okay. was alone, had done, uh, had done your boy Dolph Lundgren in Pentathlon in 94. Oh yeah, that's a so good one. he was uh, he was originally supposed to be the director, and they had actually filmed for several for like four weeks and spent millions of dollars making uh, filming a bunch of scenes with the boss and a family that Joe Huff was supposedly going to have in the film. And then when Baxley came on the set, they changed everything and they got rid of the nixed the family, probably added a bunch of you know titty shots in the movie. Went from being a family man with kids to wearing Zubaz pants and having an iguana pet. You know what a what a great choice is what I have to say. Yeah, yeah. The the Baxley magic was sprinkled All on this movie. It. Quick question for y'all: If you were to rank the Baxley three, would where would you rank Stone Cold? It's a good question. Um, I, I know for sure my number one is Action Jackson, with, without a doubt. So the other two, it, it may depend on the week, but I, you know, I think. I think I do like Stone Cold just a little bit better than uh, I Come in Peace. And also, like I think all three of these movies of the Baxley three could easily be what I like to call three sixty five movies, which is like if you could just watch one film like each day. Like not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch Stone Cold three hundred sixty five days out of the year, but one day out of that year, yeah, every year let's watch Stone Cold. One day out of the year, let's oh, watch yeah. I Come in Peace, and one day out of the year, let's watch um. Action Jackson. So that's that's saying a lot. I mean, because there's been, I mean, 365 movies, but there's there's millions of movies. So that's that's saying a lot. And I think that uh, Baxley just just doesn't get the credit. I guess the mainstream credit, but hey, he does get the credit from action fans, action aficionados. So at least we're doing them. I hope we did them justice with this podcast, and I hope you guys that are listening uh, appreciate it. And and we definitely appreciate you guys listening to the Bulletproof Podcast. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with Baxley's work as a director, then you know hopefully these episodes got you in a little spot in your body that that would make you want to watch him. I know that for me, my if I had to pick my top three, I'm going to take Stone Cold number one. I I've always loved this film, and I was I I was a fan of the Boz back in the day, and it broke my heart when he got pancaked in the end zone. But whatever, two and three are kind of that's a kind of what day is it? That's very interchangeable from Action Jackson is great for so many reasons. And then I come in peace is great for so many reasons. So I, I, I kind of enjoy both of those two. So two and two a, how about that? What about you RTG? You asked the question. It might actually be, I come in peace is number one, just because, but stone Cold's right there too. And really action Jackson as well. Um, if I had to pick, uh, I'm going to, I'm actually going to say I come in peace is my favorite. Well, there you go. So we've all picked one of the three as our number and one. How so. cool is that? I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, that shows the the Baxley's talent and that a hey, made three really good films. I think that is a fitting way to wrap up this three episode retrospective on Craig R. Baxley. Um, and uh, again, hopefully, if you've never seen any of these films, hopefully you check them out. Maybe it's been a long time since you've checked one out. Revisit these things because they are all. All three 
excellent, excellent action films. And we want to thank Craig R. Baxley for his contributions to the genre. But let's talk now about what's coming up in October on Bulletproof Action. I know RTG Warrior Season 2 is finally coming. It's also the final season, but what a fantastic uh, impression they made in season number one. Uh, I know you're looking forward to uh, Warrior season two as, as yeah, well. Yeah, let's 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 hope let's hope it gets it's a, a fitting ending because I think if they would have sold it to another network, it that just wouldn't be wouldn't do it justice. And I guess we're gonna get ten episodes to just wrap this story up. And I wish we could have got four or five seasons of Warrior. And if any of you guys out there haven't watched Warrior, try to give it a chance because it's it's allegedly based on the writings from Bruce Lee. It's produced by his daughter Shannon, and it's got some really damn good actors and a lot of really good action. So if you haven't hopped on the warrior train, now it's the perfect time to get caught up because next month the new se- the new episodes drop and just keep it tuned to bulletproof action because we will be covering that series episode to episode. And I know you also uh don't you have your eyes isn't there a uh, Ruby Rose movie coming out next month? Oh, yes, the 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 uh doorman, the the doorman with uh Ruby Rhodes and uh, Gene, uh, uh, the guy from the professional What's his name? Jean yeah, Reno. Yeah, I had a I had a moment. I've been Gene Wilder. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's basically a, <laughs> it's basically a Die Hard at a at a uh, apartment building, and Ruby Rose plays the doorman. Whoever would have guessed? And she has to fight some terrorists that hijack a a family at a house. And I'm going to get a cool little screener for that mailed to me, which is kind of cool. Like if you mail me stuff. I'm going to watch that sucker and I'm going to review it. I love getting stuff in the mail. I really do. And I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Can't wait to get a watch and let you guys know if you should watch it. Because recently I did a review for a movie called Rogue and it, with uh, Megan Fox. And I was super excited about it. But that movie super sucked. And, and if you guys have read my review of it, like I'm, I'm usually a pretty positive guy. And when I slam a movie, you know your movie sucks. So I just want to throw that out as well. That I, I, I can't. You know, sometimes I do write negative stuff at times. And if you want to see something when I don't like it as much, read, check out my road review. And another uh, thing happening in October, Chad, we're bringing it back. We haven't done this in years, but we are going to have the best Van Damme week ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you're excited about yeah, that. Yeah, talking Chad. about damn good movies. We're going to be talking about Van Damme good movies starring the legendary Jean-Claude Van Damme for his birthday week. Uh, we've done it a couple times in the past. We laid off of it because we, uh, I don't know if we shot our wads there over a couple year span, but we, uh, we, we definitely wrote a shit ton of Van Damme articles. Uh, we've reviewed many of his movies. Uh, the real thing is we haven't reviewed enough of them because there's still more. To go. There's still more to go. I know RTG is going to cover a hard target oh, yeah. uh, for us. Yeah, and that's really a man. That's some pressure on me because I, it's one of my most requested things to do is a review of hard target. And I'm going to just, I'm going to make a promise to the fans of bulletproof action that I'm going to do my damnedest to, to do you guys justice. Your damnedest. My, my, my damnedest. Your I, damnedest. And I get it. Yeah. I'm going to do my damnedest to, to write a kick-ass review for you guys. And I appreciate, I appreciate the push from people like, Hey, RTG, please uh, review hard target for bulletproof action. And, and I guess Chris was paying attention to the socials and, he, he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, hell yeah, let's do this. So I, I can't wait to do that review. I've been asked to not review anything 
And they, they actually specifically said the only thing negative about my reviews are the actual writing. This is pretty negative. Well, the pictures too, but um, <laughs> yeah, we'll also have a, I know Matt Spector is going to cover a black Eagle with a Van Damme and Kasugi, one of a Van Damme's earlier ones. I'm going to have a 10 things you didn't know about death warrant, which I'm looking forward to getting into. Um, and I'm sure the scene of the week will be Van Damme related. It's going to be all week long. And our podcast is also going to be Van Damme related and Christy Petrillo, the toy man will be joining us for that one. And we're going to actually let uh, the fans pick which of the classic Van Damme movies we cover for that one. So it's all going to be Van Damme the week of October the 12th through the 18th. It's all Van Damme. It's the best Van Damme week ever. And uh, I think we're just about out of time for this one, guys. So for Chad Cruz and the real Todd Gaines, I am Chris the Brain. Thank you for listening. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.